Eric, thanks so much for hopping on the podcast. Appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. So uh, how do you pronounce your last name? Uresk. Uresk. All right, cool. Uh, so Chris, Chris connected us. Uh, how do you know Chris? So oddly enough, I know Chris from a nightclub messaging board that we were both on when like messaging boards were big. If you're old, if you're like in your 20s, you don't know what a messaging board is. But uh, yeah, we were both pretty, pretty heavily involved in the, the New York City club scene. And then you know, other forms of social media like Facebook and we became friends on there and um, actually took him on as a, a, a client. He was actually one of my, my early, early clients when I started my coaching business. But uh, I've, I've known him per se for over a decade, probably. Yeah, wow. Easy. Yeah. yeah. More than a decade. He said your coaching's really good, too. We talked a little bit about oh, it. Oh, right on. He was like, man, he, he was going through it. And you really helped him kind of navigate through that. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good good success story. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. So tell me a little bit about your background. Where'd you grow up? Grew up Long Island, New York. Um, 41 years old. So my teenage years were, yeah, like early, mid-90s. Uh, and had a r- rough upbringing, a lot, lot of... Uh, a lot of alcoholism, addiction, uh, abuse, and and so uh, home home wasn't like the safest place for me, and so yeah, I was just out in the streets scrapping like pretty much every day. Um, that's that's what I, I don't know. That made me feel good. So that's that's I just had a real early relationship with violence. It's a it's like a, a way that I, I felt I could get some control over the world and literally and I, I just bring I come out the gate with that because that really springboarded me into the the rest of my life was 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 from that got it all right and Long Island New York a lot of alcohol sounds very uh, a lot of that East Coast you know my family from Boston for sure uh, grew up alcohol was just very common uh, you know working class you know you you go to work you drink, you go to bed, you do it again, you know? Yeah. So I, uh, that kind of led me into a little bit of alcoholism too. Luckily I got sober at 23. I know you got sober at 23 too, which is just crazy. The synchronicities there, even though we're very far apart in terms of like when we got sober year wise. Right. How long do you have sober now? Uh, Over 18 years. That's crazy. Yeah. Coming up on 19. Congrats. That's really cool. Wow. Um, yeah. (laughs) So what was your life like before you got sober? I know, uh, everybody that I know that's gotten sober, first off, they're awesome people uh, if they've gotten sober, you know. And second off, they have crazy stories, some good, some bad. Can you share some of those? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I figured out real young that when I – if I beat people up or do crazy shit, that everybody in the neighborhood's nice to me. Uh, and so – up until like sixth grade, I, you know, I had probably gotten into like 50, 60 street fights. And like I used to keep like meticulous track because I didn't have a father figure. My dad was there. He lived with us, but he wasn't a father per se. Right. He didn't actually parent at all. So I never learned anything from my dad. What I did learn was from 80s action movies. Right. And so what do you learn from an 80s action movie? You show no emotion. Right. You 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 fuck everybody up. Right. And then you get the girl at the end and everybody loves you. Okay. Right. So that's the template I'm going into life with. And I move, <clears throat> I move going into junior high. So I finish up sixth grade. I move going into junior Now I got to create a whole new character because none of these people know me. And I'm, I'm tiny at the time, like real little. I'm still not a big guy, but I was tiny. And in, in the midst of being unsure who I was and, and knowing like, oh, I liked that character that I built up before. I found drugs and alcohol, right? 
And so then it was the cocktail of drugs, alcohol, and violence because I, I didn't have anything else. I didn't have any other coping skills. I just didn't. I couldn't talk to my parents about it. There was nobody to, I didn't even know what I was feeling at the time. So I didn't have words to, to communicate what was going on for me. And it was just like pulling a slingshot and then I was going. And um, from the time I was like 14, I think I had my first real serious drink, like drank with the intention to get drunk at 13 years old. And I was like, I'm going to do this as often as possible for the rest of my life, as much as I can get my hands on it. And, you know, when you're a kid, you, your access to it can be limited. Um, but, man, I would steal from store. I would do whatever I could uh, to gain access to it from, from a real young age. And, again, the, the violence started to, to, to take part in that. <clears throat> and by the time I was 15, 16 years old, I was like, everybody in the neighborhood was scared of me. And, and that was really important to me because what I saw, I would watch, ended up hanging out with some guys that were like three, four years older than me. Or when I say hang out, I would sit around and like watch and kind of clock what was going on. And they didn't take me serious. I was, I was this guy, Greg's sister's friend, right? And, and you know, he had a little sister my age. And so I would hang out there, but I would just watch and I would see how like some of like the OGs in the neighborhood would pull up and they were, they, you know, they were selling drugs and I would see how they walked and they weren't scared and everybody's, oh, that's such and such, you know, and, and, and people would kind of like whisper as they rolled up and, and people respected them and these guys weren't afraid. They didn't seem afraid, right? And it's like, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be the guy that everybody in the neighborhood respected because if you're a kid, it's like your neighborhood is the world. Yeah. You don't realize like, like these guys ain't shit when you leave your neighborhood, right? right. But like in the neighborhood, these – these guys may as well be gods, especially to a <clears throat> young teenager, like, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old. So I'm like, man, I want to I want to be like these guys. And so that was like that's what I set out to be was that I didn't have any other goals, any other aspirations. Nothing seemed tangible. And especially on the East Coast, East Coast neighborhoods are a different animal, especially like inner city kind of For neighborhoods. Sure. Um, my family's from East Boston on my mother's side. So it's very, very like very tight. Everybody's been there for ages and now it's sort of evolving and changing, but you know, spent a good amount of my childhood there. And I remember seeing those mafia dudes running around and, and just the neighborhood tough guys or whatever, why, whatever you want to call it, the way that they walked, there was a swagger yeah. that even cops looked at them with fear. And that yeah. was like, I remember seeing that when I was younger and going, man, I want to be a gangster. Yeah. Um, so did, when you started drinking, did the violence start to change in terms of not just like street fights, but did it ever escalate? Oh, yeah. So just a caveat, I, I got into wrestling when I was 15 and I was pretty naturally gifted at it. And, and I was I was already a tough kid. Once I picked up a little wrestling, I started beating up grown men. Right. So I, I'd be picking fights in the street with grown ass men body slang on the pavement and that, that's that and for me you just gave me like the key to the city you know like like oh shit like i can do whatever i want now right and so <clears throat> it's really i felt so powerless growing up in my household that that's just really what i was looking for a sense of control and safety and so in my young brain at the time my young heart at the time I, i'm a, i'm thinking every time i hurt somebody i'm making myself safer and that's really what was going on. I didn't understand that at the moment, obviously, and, and, and you know, in hindsight, that, that's, that's what I've come to understand. Uh, yeah, I, uh, so 
with the drugs and the alcohol, what I figured out is, hey, if I just go beat up a drug dealer and take his shit and take his money, I don't like it's free. It's a hundred percent profit. There's no like the margin's huge because it's like <laughs> there's there's, uh, there's I have no overhead with this. Right. I just go in, I smack this guy around a little bit. Sometimes I'm have to do a little bit more than smack him around. I take his shit, whatever it is, his money, his cat, or, 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 or whatever product he's got on him, and I'm out. You know, I was a terrible drug dealer. <laughs> Worst drug dealer. I had no self-control. I lived purely for the moment, right? I basically would sell drugs to supply my own habit, um, and then some. And, uh, and then oftentimes, yeah, sometimes I wouldn't even have the money to pay my connect, and I'd have to just go rob somebody to... To, to get the money. Yeah. And I, I always made good, so people knew I'd get it one way or another. But yeah, I was an awful drug dealer, but I was really good at, at, at you know, robbing drug dealers. I think a lot of us, especially, there's something in common um, with alcoholics and drug addicts is risk-taking. Mm -hmm. And with risk-taking comes this weird adrenaline rush from getting things done at the last second. So I, I know me growing up, I always got things done at the last, got them done, but it was always right at the last Oof, second. Is yes. that something you share? Oh, yeah. M million percent. I, I work, I don't know if it's I work better under the gun or, or <clears throat> if that's just a story that I tell myself. Yeah, I, I think I've, as I've grown and uh, I've started to do a lot less of that. Like, there, I'm a guy that if you let me, I'll wing everything. Yeah. Right? And I... As I started to get more successful in some things, I'm like, okay, these are things I maybe shouldn't be winging, right? And so as much as it's not my natural flow of things, prep, there's nothing wrong with preparation. Uh, and in fact, some preparation is good. Now, I don't like to get like anal about preparation to where like, like too fixed and off. Oh, I don't prepare like this, then it's, I, I, tr I also trust my intuition. Yeah. Yeah. Intuition, I think, is uh, the subconscious mind telling you the stuff that you're front mind your your active mind doesn't doesn't really understand so um let's talk a little bit about your coaching and the things that you do in sure. terms of mindset so before we talk about that though i want to talk about your uh your fighting background mm -hmm. and then uh jujitsu wrestling sure. ground and pound stuff yeah so coming coming out of that i got sober when i was 23 uh and really it's just i knew i was gonna die soon and no one, I don't think anybody that knew me growing up think I would live past 20. My teachers definitely didn't. And uh, so I remember coming to coming to on like a Sunday morning and I had been, uh, I've been going at it for a few days and I was, I was at some like flop house in the Hamptons and there was bodies just laying on the floor scattered. It was not an uncommon scene. And reach in my pocket there's a bag of coke and you know bottles everywhere and it's just it's a mess and and i'm like hmm, all right well i've got a couple grams in my pocket i may as well get started and just like a little voice in my head said something to the effect that if you stop now you have a chance if you don't you're probably gonna die and i for whatever reason i listened to that and i, I followed that intuition I flushed it or threw it in the garbage. I can't remember which. I, I drove home about 45 minutes. So I was living with my grandmother at the time and slept for like two days. Woke up, went to a, a meeting, 
lasted half the meeting. I was shaking. I was just in, in, in rough shape and um, have not had a, a, a drink since. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, something similar happened to me. I got arrested, fought with a bunch of cops, ended up getting in, in real trouble. And um, I had gone out and, you know, gotten jumped before and ended up in the hospital with a traumatic brain injury and would literally go out and, like, intentionally run from the police because I thought it was fun. And, and right. you know, like, just shit that we do yeah. and we're fucked up. And then when I got sober, there was something that happened when I woke up. Uh, it was a Monday morning. I was in a jail cell. And I just knew I'm, I'm never drinking again. And, you know, right. we always say, that. oh, right. man, I'm all hungover. Like, oh, I'm never doing that again. But this was for fucking real. Yeah. And I posted on Facebook, I think it's time for me to quit drinking for good. And I have not had a drink since. That's and awesome. There was something that switched internally. And call it intuition, call it... God, call it the universe, whatever. I, I don't know what it was, but something changed. And there's so many people out there that I think need to get sober, but don't know how to get started. Uh, especially like when you're deep in that and you're, all your surroundings are drugs, alcohol, violence, low vibration, negativity. Mm -hmm. What do you say to somebody who wants to get sober? Well, <coughs> I think it's, it's important to understand the what addiction really is is a an extreme form of disconnection right it's a, an extreme form of emotional and, and i would say spiritual disconnection and early on these substances take away that feeling of disconnection so i know for myself and, and this is not uncommon for me to hear i hated myself like so inherently there was such a inherent sense of guilt and shame i had to drink I had to drink so I wouldn't feel like that. So for me, just to feel comfortable in my own skin, that's all I wanted, right? Unfortunately, what that looked like for me is I would redline it and put as much shit into my system as I could and it would end up messy, right? And violence was a big part of that too. Violence actually made me connected because I had early experiences where I had positive feedback for hurting people. Right. Right. So a great way to establish connection that, that's available to anybody, I find is 12-step programs, if you actually do them, right? So you can go to the 12-step meeting, but you actually have to take the steps and, and, and do what's suggested, right? Uh, that That's the only way I know for sure that if, if you go in there and you're serious and you follow the directions that's, that's outlined, um, you, you can stop drinking and doing drugs. Now, will you heal emotionally from that? No. Um, I've, I've, you know, I've seen people that are sober for 20, 30 years and still have not emotionally healed. And they're sober, and that's great. Um, so it's, it's a jumping off point. Getting sober is the beginning. You, there's nothing possible until sobriety happens if you're, if you're the, the real deal, if you're an alcoholic or an addict. Right. Right. It makes, getting sober makes it possible for healing to begin. Yeah, because I think that we, at least for me, and what I've noticed with other people too, um, when you get sober, the first couple months are great because your body's like, oh my God, this is what real endorphins, not this, you know, this overflow of dopamine and, and you know, this constant, just overwhelming sensation we're giving ourselves. So when we start to learn how to wake up on time, as weird as that is, right? Like Basic how, things. Yeah, how to be a regular human being. Um, how to not go out until four in the morning every night, wake, you know, like it's just your life changes. But then there's this point, at least for me, and I see a lot of people, 
when you get sober, now it becomes hard because you've spent your whole life in the survival instinct of pressing everything down with alcohol, with stimulants, with Mm -hmm. whatever, but now you got to do the work, Mm -hmm. right? Now you have to actually tackle what's inside and the trauma and the shit that actually made you get fucked up all that time. So I think that the, yeah, I, I, I realized when I got sober that the internal work doesn't start until maybe six months, a year of getting sober. So when you get sober, if you are going to get sober, just know that it's going to take time. It's going to be great, but then there's going to be these roadblocks that you're going to have to overcome. Mm -hmm. Um, did you have those kind of, Oh my God. So, you know, I, I've experienced what you're talking about and in, in 12 step circles, they'll call it like the, the pink cloud. Yeah. Right. I had that in my – I had been attempting to get sober since I was 17. So pr- I got sober when I was 23. That was not the worst my addiction was in. Prior to that, we're talking about psych wards, jails, like, like uh, long-term treatment facilities, group homes, like homelessness. It was a mess. Yeah. Uh, I just knew I was going to die. I didn't want to die. So there was no pink cloud when I got sober. I was miserable miserable you would you could walk into a meeting and you'd see both seats next to me empty i was so fucking angry so angry that my drinking got taken away from me as i looked at it right i had a real victim attitude towards it you took this away from me and it took me a long time to heal i would say i probably spent my first seven eight years of sobriety miserable borderline suicidal um, I had so much trauma to heal, and the 12 steps did a great job getting me sober. They did not touch any of that stuff because they're not designed to. Right. Um, and so, <clears throat> and that's really what pushed me into really where I'm at now with my coaching is I, I needed to go deeper. I knew there had to be more. I knew there had to be more. Uh, so I went from from that to into martial arts martial i found martial arts and i always knew i wanted to wrestle again i was really talented at wrestling i didn't get to do a whole lot with it in high school because i wasn't allowed in high school very long right but i knew when i wrestled like i love this so i started going into brooklyn um five days a week driving two hours into the city to go train with these russian guys in brooklyn my coach was a former soviet olympic coach and everybody down there was a savage and I, and I also, while I was in a long-term treatment facility, began training judo. So I, I was a black belt in judo, and I'm really pushing the wrestling thing, and I have dreams. One day I want to fight in the UFC. I, you know, hooked from the moment I saw Hoist Gracie and, and all that stuff. I knew one day I want, I, want to, I want to do this. I want to fight. And so I throw myself into that world. Same time, I start bouncing in nightclubs, right? And... Is this this before you got sober? This is as I get sober. As? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So 10 months after getting sober, I start working nightclubs. I really started training heavy with the wrestling and the judo around 20. Okay. Again, I wrestled quite a bit in high school, but the gap from like, we'll say 16, 17 to 20 was was pretty messy. I was was in some bad shape and uh, not really able to do too much uh, physically. Uh, just, I, was in, I was in the streets pretty heavy at that time. And so I'm, I'd wrestle for a period of time, and then I'd go back into the streets. And then 23 stopped, and now I'm like full blast in this. I get involved in the fight world. I fight some underground fights. And, um, and actually, people are expecting a lot of me. And, uh, you know, 
I could go through the whole long fight story, but I'll, I'll say this. Super talented. My fight career was, was an overall failure. I finished with a re- winning record, but no, nowhere near what I was capable of accomplishing because I was so mentally weak. Uh, I, my identity was built on winning and losing. And so if you even beat me in a round in the gym, I would mentally crumble. I would go home and hate myself, right? So every time I step out there, I'm carrying that weight of self-loathing before I compete. That's a fucking heavy weight to carry. Yeah. Right? Crumble. My, I have nothing else. This is my whole identity. My whole identity is violence. Bouncing in nightclubs was based on violence. I was five foot six, 160 pounds. Everybody else was 300 pounds, six foot six. And I loved that. I loved that I was a little guy, but I could fuck everybody up. And I was feared and respected. And if you took that away from me, I would have nothing. Yeah. That's the reason women liked me. It's, it's the reason people were nice to me. I wasn't probably the best friend to people. It was very selfish and self-centered and things were about me and how I looked. And so if you took the violence away from me, what would I have? Right. And, um, Dominic Cruz is a longtime friend and we were training partners and he would often get on me. He's like, Hey man, you're really good, but you don't work on your weaknesses. You avoid them. You only want to win. It's like, you're not going to get to the top like that. And Deep down, I knew he was right, and I fucking hated him for it at the time. So, like, when Dom and I were training partners, we had a very strained relationship. And it wasn't until years later where we had both done quite a bit of work. His delivery maybe wasn't, wasn't the best at the time. Dom's a pretty straight shooter. and uh, But that never left my head. And so I was out in Phuket. I lived in Thailand for five years, the head coach of Phuket top team. And as I retired from the sport, I knew I wanted to move into coaching. And really what I wanted to do is I, I knew I was, I had a real gift for the technical side of things, but I also had a real gift for, I knew where my cowardice, right? The avoidance of fear was, is what I would, I would call a coward, right? Where my cowardice interfered with my progress and I could see it in other people, right? One thing about being in the streets so heavy as a kid and, and just having growing up in an abusive environment, can read people really fast i can sense a fearful reaction i can also notice my own fearful reactions so in my coaching i started coaching into people's fears like and and you know almost through like immersion like okay if i see something that's scary i'm going to do it as much as possible this is what the path that i started with i'm going to put myself in these things that scare me i'm not going to run from what scares me i'm going to immerse myself in it and there's a lot of value in that. It's not the only way to, to work through that stuff. And it, I don't think it should be the only tool, but it, but it is a tool and, it, and it's a valuable tool. And so I was coaching purely from that standpoint. Problem is not everybody's willing to just dive in the fire, right? I, I am, and some people are. Many people are not. I won't say most people aren't, but many people are not willing to just dive in the fire. They have to feel safe. And so as I kind of progressed through that, I started to learn about, okay, I have to create a a space of safety first before a lot of people are going to be willing to do the work. And, and, you know, as time went on, I, I learned how to, how to start creating that safety. Like it, it can't just be one way, right? If, If we're going to push through some really deep stuff, and these are limiting beliefs that you've held onto for your whole life. I can't expect that you're just going to put your head down and run through it. I don't think it works that way. Um, 
particularly not for emotional stuff, right? And when you're talking about high-level mixed martial arts or even high-level high level com competition in martial arts in general, you're talking about people fighting for their identity in a lot, in a lot of ways. Um, and all their, your most primal fears come up. And, and all of that, I would say, is emotional, right? It's, if we get past the thought level and get, get, get down to it, it's an emotional reaction. There's a deep-rooted emotional fear we're not just going to smash through that. I have to create safety in order to really get good work done in the emotional realm. Do you think that's a survival instinct that people have to hold on to? For sure. For sure. It's, it's familiar. Yeah. But look, why are most people not successful in business or in any, any endeavor that, that requires extraordinary effort because they are unwilling to live in the unfamiliar? Yeah. Right. So to be an entrepreneur, you're almost always living in the unfamiliar. Yeah. Right. You're almost always looking out over the edge of what's comfortable. Right. If you're not, you're not an entrepreneur. Right. Right. Yeah. If you're not, you might have a business and it works for you. Yeah. Right. And, and that's cool. You found a formula that works. But if you're constantly growing and scaling and, do, and doing stuff like that, yeah. you are looking out over the edge. Sometimes you might even jump too far out over the edge. And, yeah. and maybe that's not the best idea all the time. Right. But. If we want to really expand our, our comfort zone in anything, there has to be a willingness to go to the point where I've always stopped and at least just kind of peer my eyes out over and see what's there. Yeah. Because if I can't do that, then I, I won't get there. Yeah. It's not going to happen by accident or coincidence. Right. right? Everybody's like, oh, I want, you know, maybe I want what Kevin has. Well, are you willing to do what Kevin has done? And that's a big thing is... Um for the longest time I watched people and I was like, what makes these people successful? And it's, it's almost always living outside of their comfort zone, living below their means and living outside of their comfort zone. So I've realized, and over this last year, before I started the podcast, I was so comfortable because my business is cash flowing. I have money coming in from a couple different sources. I don't need to work right. Or, or not hard. Right. I don't need right. to, when I started, it was all day, every day, or I would, die right like right. that's what it felt like and once you start to make it or make a little bit of money right whatever that means to anybody once your basic needs are met especially your bills the real game starts because now you're fighting yourself you're not you're no longer fighting the game of of paying your bills and eating so i realized that i was too comfortable i knew i needed to start a personal brand grow my podcast things right. like that so I started hiring people. I started investing in bigger office space, started doing things like that. Right. And that's when the real growth happens. And it's, you know, like you might crash and burn a couple of times, but uh, if you're not getting, if you're not terrified all the time, I don't think you're growing enough. Right. And so, yeah, I think I, I, I might challenge that and just reframe it just slightly. I don't, I don't know if I need to be terrified all the time. I, I, I like this balance of uncomfortable, but excited. Yeah. Right. I, I think. Being terrified all the time is like, fuck, man, that's a lot of anxiety to handle. I, I don't I don't need to be anxious. Right. But I can be excited and, and scared. I can be scared without being anxious. Yeah. Right. I think sometimes people may extend themselves too much and, and, and that creates a state of anxiety. And the thing is, if you're in anxiety, you're, you're in survival. If you're in survival, it's really hard to be in creation at the same time. Yeah. Right. And that, so to like touch on what you said, once your basic needs are met, you're no longer in survival. Yep. Okay. So what do you do when you're no longer in survival? If you don't create when you're not in survival, right? I, I think this is, I, I can speak to this broadly. Um, and I'll speak, this is really important for men. 
if you don't create when you're in survival, you don't have any purpose. Right. Right. And so it's really, really, really important, no matter what's going on, that I maintain some purpose. Right. And this this goes deep. This this affects my relationship with my wife, my friends. Everybody has a purpose. And, and I, I realized this the other day in talking with a client. Most people's purpose is security. I just want to feel comfortable. I just want to feel easy. And then they wonder why they have this sort of mediocre life that they're not super enthusiastic. They just show up. I know I've got, I'm going to make my hundred K this year and that's good enough. I'll pay the bills. We'll go on a few vacations and then rinse and repeat. And everything's, everything is the whole goal is to make everything as comfortable and predictable as possible. Right. And that is where men go to die. That's where men's lives die. That's where your kids and your wife won't respect you anymore because there's no life in a person's eyes when they live like that. Right. When you see a man that has no purpose. Yeah. Right. And he's not driven by something greater than himself. Right. Right. You see no life in his eyes. And there's so many guys that use their family as an excuse for why they've chosen to stop living from their heart. Right. Right. I, I got kids to take care of. Well, what message do you want to give your kids? Yeah. Do you want them to have the message to just let their dreams die? Yeah. That, and I get it. It's not, it can, it can almost sound like judgmental the way I'm saying it, but it's, it's really from a place of love because when people live like that, my experience of people that live like that is they're not present to their life. Everything feels like it's happening to them or it's something that they have to do victim mentality. It's a complete victim mentality. Circumstance is happening to me. There's no creatorship or authorship in a life like that. Yeah. Right. So when do men feel most empowered when they feel like they have creatorship and authorship over their life? And then how much can I expand on that into every area of my life? Do I feel like I have creatorship and authorship in my relationship with my wife? What about my friends? Am I a guy that works so much that I don't actually have friends? Right. Right. Or do I dread going home because my wife is going to want me to be present to her? And I don't know how I can't switch the fucking off button off work. Right. Right. Can I be present to my kids and expand that too? Now, how much of this do you learn in martial arts? Because what I've realized going through jujitsu and I've only been training for two years now, but, um, a lot of discipline has come from it in terms of just showing up, right. And realizing that a lot of things that I've learned in jujitsu are applicable to business, my Mm -hmm. relationship, things like that. But, um, how much of that kind of spiritual growth happens through going through martial arts so i love that question and i think you could do martial arts and get no growth you could treat it purely as how to learn violence right i did that uh or martial arts can be a path of complete personal development okay martial arts is a heightened stressor particularly if you practice a live martial art, so a martial art where we actually spar. You and I are going to spar, and it's, it could be close to 100% sparring, right? And even if you and I know we're not going to actually try to hurt one another, still the intensity of it will, and that heightened state of stress brings out my reactions to heightened states of stress. What do I feel like when I'm uncomfortable? What are my reactions when I'm uncomfortable? Well, I get to notice that. Okay. Does that current reaction that I have when I'm I'm uncomfortable, does that serve me? Is that a reaction that's yielding results that I want? 
okay? So no judgment, no moralistic judgment. Okay, I noticed that when I'm afraid or unsure, I shut down. Let's say this is a common thing. Okay, what about in your life? What happens when you're afraid or unsure? Okay, so you can start drawing parallels if you pay attention, if you're aware. Okay, and, and that's one of the, th uh, the real beautiful things, I think, if you train a martial art that offers the, 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 the sparring aspect particularly because that's where the, but even, you can even draw reactions to, okay, how do I learn? What do I, how do I react when everybody seems to be getting the move and I'm struggling with it? What is my self-talk like? Okay, and, and you can pay attention to that. Does right. that self-talk serve me? Does that self-talk bring me results that work for me? If it doesn't, okay, then how, how do we go about shifting that? And, and that, I believe, for me, that's a, that's a natural place for me to be is inquisitive and constantly studying my reactions to things. And, and, and it's, it's, I think it's a big part of why I'm successful at coaching is, is to be able to not only see and ask those questions for myself, but to, to, to also you know, show others how, how to create that for themselves. So right. yes, martial arts can be an extremely uh, valuable uh, emotional and spiritual path. And it has been for me. Uh, <clears throat> it's all about the context and how you use it, right? It's how you use it is we can use the same tool, but how we use it is very much going to uh, determine the result that we get. Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. So tell us a little bit about your coaching and if somebody's interested, where can they find out more about your coaching? Sure. So <clears throat> my coaching derives a lot from what we just talked about, right? So one of the things that, that I, I do well is I, I help people and support people in seeing the blind spots, the patterns and how they connect, right? So um, people, like we said, they have the, the edge that they walk to. The reason that they walk, that that's why the edge is, is because they have a story, okay? They have an internal dialogue emotionally and mentally that this is where we got to draw the line. And for a lot of people, the edge that they stop at is very far away from the life that they want, okay? So the, the life that they want is, is maybe 100 yards down the line, but where they're comfortable is 25 yards down the line, Yeah. okay? Just to make a, a reference that listeners that aren't watching can, uh, can understand what I'm saying. So if you only go 25 yards, but the life that you want is 100 yards, right? And you can't seem to go past the 25-yard line. You just stop. Your body locks up. You freeze. You get anxiety. You find ways to self-sabotage, okay? Through questions, through observation, we get whoever I'm working with to, to see, that, see clearly what they want and what's in the way, okay? So we, we know what we want. We know what's in the way. We, have, we get an idea about what's in the way. Okay, now, then we start looking at these limiting belief systems because that largely that's what's in the way. Yeah, there's action that's in the way. Action doesn't get taken if the belief systems don't get taken care of. Right. And it doesn't get taken regularly if the belief systems don't get taken care of. And so that's a big thing. That, that, that's it's probably the simplest way that I can, I can describe my coaching, right? What do you want? What's in the way? What are the limiting belief systems that are keeping you from, from from experiencing what it is you want to experience because we talk about a goal okay the goal is cool when you get to the goal how many times have you hit a goal and you've been like eh. yeah okay what experience do I want to have as a result of this goal that's really what I'm more more, more the goal itself is is whatever right, right. it's it's it, 
it means whatever you, you it means to you but what experience do you want to have what experience do you want to have of yourself what if you could create that experience all the time regardless of hitting the goal or not right what would that be like what would it be like if you felt empowered all the time regardless of whether you were smashing these goals like outside of circumstance you could carry an experience that that was exciting every right. day that you could create your own excitement and enthusiasm regardless of the circumstances and we're back all right so yeah if you're in a place where bills aren't paid and there's some life stresses right you the price on the menu matters still and yeah it's okay so how do i get into a place of creation from there or how do i even get started well the the first thing the first thing is to really figure out what you want and really get clear on what you want. Clarity is probably the most important thing. It might be the most valuable thing that I can support somebody or provide somebody is clarity. Without clarity, you don't have a North Star, right? You don't have something that, okay, I want to go in that direction, okay? So knowing exactly what you want, and, the, and that may change, right? So it's just, like, well, what if I, this isn't what I want when I get there? Don't worry about that. What do you want right now? And really, what do you want? Okay, what's in the way of that happening? Get clear on what's in the way of that happening. What, what are the, the steps in between me and this right now? Okay, if you can, like, that's a great place. Most people, if you don't think about what you want or even what's in the way of, and we don't stop at what's in the way, right? That's, that's about as far as many people do get. It's like, well, I know I didn't want it, but this, they come up with a circumstance. The, usually time and money. I don't have time, I don't have money, kids, whatever. Those are all circumstances. Victim. Victim. You don't want it, right? <clears throat> if you're in circumstance, you're in victim, right? You're allowing circumstance to dictate your decision-making, right? Then invest in yourself. Find a way to invest in yourself. I'm of the mindset, if you have to fucking go into a little debt to invest in yourself, like, and really at that point, it's not investing in yourself, it's bet on yourself, Yeah. right? If you're... If you have to go into a little debt or spend some money that's going to be uncomfortable to make yourself more valuable, I get that that's scary, right? I get that you want to know it's going to work out before you want to know the answer ahead of time, right? right? How often does wanting to know the answer ahead of time keep people from taking any action? Yeah. Well, I don't know how it's going to work out, so I'm going to do nothing. Right. Well, then your future is going to be very predictable. Yeah. You're going to have more of what you currently have based on your inability to take some risk. Yep. Okay, so invest in yourself, get more valuable, get the tools. If you have emotional stuff that needs to be sorted out, then that's what you need to put your energy into. How do I clear out the energy of the past so that I can live in the present? That may be what you need to do, right? Or you, okay, I need these certain skills in order to get here. Okay, then and, and do what you have to do to get those skills. And, and it's one step at a time. The, the thing is, in anything, and, and I'm sure you can attest to this, the path is never clear. Like, it's not like a, a linear thing. In any, I think in anything worthwhile, I don't think the path is linear. As in, I'm just going to walk a straight line and I'll get there. If I just, okay, maybe surprises happen. Yeah. Obstacles come up. And I will handle them so that then that provides me with the next indicated step. To think that it's just going to be smooth sailing, maybe it will be and great if it is, but expect there to be obstacles okay and then it's really about like is my commitment to this vision greater than than the obstacle 
If it's not, you're always going to stop at the obstacle over and over and over. And that, and sometimes that's part of the process. Sometimes it's getting so sick and tired of stopping at the same obstacle that you become willing to try something different. Right. Right. And, and that's a part of it. Like be willing to, to not have instant gratification. Like if you're, if you want to have it now and it has to happen now and, and anything that, that stops it from happening now is where you stop man, you're going to have a hard time. And that may be part of your process. You may need to experience that for a couple of years. Yeah. And, and people do, man, people, people, not everybody wakes up with an entrepreneurial spirit, you know, like, Oh, I'm going to go out and create this. And even if you're not an entrepreneur, I don't think you have, need to be an entrepreneur to live an extraordinary life. But like, I think extraordinary life, regardless of what it looks like is never comfortable. Right. It's never just, I'm going to stay here right now. I'm going to work until I retire. Then things are going to be easy. Right. Right. And then you watch these people mentally just crumble, yeah. physically fall apart, Alzheimer's, all this stuff. And, and like they die quickly after that. Oftentimes people, they lose purpose. Yeah. Right. So find a purpose that you're willing to struggle for. I yeah. think is probably like, that's the, that, that's probably the best thing I can tell anybody, regardless of where you're at, find a purpose that you're willing to struggle for. And not that it, you don't want to live in struggle, obviously, <coughs> but I think you have to be willing to struggle, right? You have to be willing to live through some, to, to do things that are difficult. Well, like Jocko says, discipline equals freedom. Fuck yeah. So what's it like being around Jocko? I know, <laughs> I know you spend a lot of time with him. You guys are in the gym together. Yeah. So Jocko's a great guy. Um, funny. I, I lived in San Diego from like 2010 to 2014 before I moved to Thailand, and, and I would go over to Victory to train sometimes. I didn't know who Jocko was. He wasn't famous yet or anything like that. But just looking at him, I'm like, I don't know who this guy is, but he looks like he's worthy of my respect. So I'm just going to be respectful towards him and call him sir every time I see him. But uh, in uh, as I started to work at Victory in the past, what is it? It's been a little over a year now, I suppose. Yeah, a bit, bit over a year. Uh, he's really one of the nicest, most down-to-earth guys. Like, you, he's just a, 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 he's just another dude, man. Yeah. Um, very humble on the mat. Always open to learn. Um, very fucking strong. He's a he's a gorilla. He's he's a, he's a great guy. He's yeah. he's um. Never never turns down. Uh, you know, people asking for pictures and stuff like that. Like, yeah, he, he's, he's a really good dude. Um, he's, you know, yeah, he, he's got that on button to be intense, but he doesn't walk around, like go hard all the time. Like he's actually pretty, pretty chill, relaxed dude for the most part. Those Navy SEALs have nothing to prove. No, nothing. Yeah. 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 And, and he lives his life like that. Like, I don't feel like he's ever coming from a place to prove. I think he comes from a place of mission and purpose. Yeah. Right. Yeah. His mission and purpose is important. And oftentimes mission and purpose w will be difficult. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so where can people find more about you? Uh, Instagram is the best place to interact with me. So uh, Eric, the gentleman on Instagram, pretty, pretty easy. Uh, I, you know, always putting up hopefully valuable content and, and just things to inspire or support people on their mission. And, you know, I'm, I'm really I'm passionate about the martial arts, but I'm, I'm, I'm more passionate about creating men that I wish I had around when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, m men that can mentor lead, um, from, from a place of inner strength as opposed to, you know, all the, the, the outer, uh, bells and whistles that, that you sometimes get on the street. I, I don't think none of those guys are, are, 
they're not bad people, right? Uh, at all, they're great people, um, wonderful people. But it's there's a lot of hurt and pain, and everybody's coming from a lot of hurt and pain. And I think it doesn't have to be that way. I think we can we can lead from a, a heart-centered place, as corny as that sounds. It takes courage to live from a heart-centered place, right? Like, I would say entrepreneurs, when entrepreneurs done from a, a grounded and balanced place is a heart-centered place. If, if I'm not gonna get, I, me personally, I won't get involved in something that I don't feel like alive or a spark of passion about. Yeah. That's living from a heart-centered place. And sometimes that's gonna be scary. It's not gonna be sure. People are gonna discourage you, right? right? They're gonna say, man, just get a union job. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you feel heart-centered, if you find that that union job provides you with the opportunity to do something purposeful on top of that, great. And, and the union job is a part of that purpose, great. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with a union job. For me, I would rather fucking die. Yeah. I would rather die than, than work for somebody else. I just, I, I don't want to, I won't yep. say I can't do it, but I choose not to. Um, that's, has, that's not from my heart center. Yeah, same you know, here, yeah. You know, can you leave the audience with one last positive message? So I think along that same vein, there's so much learning how to feel from the heart and like really get, and it sounds corny, like, dude, I'm a guy that comes from the street, you know, and, and beat up and hurt a lot of people. And, and that, you know, that was the coolest thing I had to tell you for a long time. but. I was very unhappy, but living, learning how to live from my heart, actually to gain the intuition of what I really want and, 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 and decipher what, like what's, what's real and what is a fear that's trying to keep me safe and secure and, and to learn how to like decode that yeah. in every area of my life, in my relationships with my wife, like real emotional intimacy is terrifying for a lot of men, terrifying, but that's what my heart really wants. I'll say that I don't. Right. So that I can avoid it. But my heart, I, I know deep down now that the truth is my heart really wants that. It wants to be able to connect with people. It wants to be able to smile at people that walk down the street and be friendly. It wants to be able to strike up a conversation. It wants to be able to, oh, I don't want to look stupid dancing if I don't know how to dance. No, people want to fucking dance. And anybody says that they wouldn't like to dance or be able to dance. They're fucking lying. Right. Right. You're a liar. You just don't know how to and you're scared. And I'll stand on that. Um, being able to live a, a life truly from the heart center and have relationships that are based on, 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 a, on a centered heart. And so like, just how, how much can I expand that into every little fucking thing that I do, even though it's really scary. Right. Right. Like that's the life that you maybe might be worth looking at the life that you want has less to do about the shit that you have and more about the experience that you have. Amazing. Dude, Eric, thank you thank so you much brother. for coming appreciate on the podcast. You, I seriously appreciate it. Um, yeah, follow Eric. Eric the Gentleman on Please. Instagram. <laughs>